nobody but you and me. Welcome to the Sports and Shit Podcast presented by Anchor. Your hosts each week are Maddie. But it burned. For me and her, it burned. There was a burning. And the multi-talented Smitty. There's worse ways to go than eating grilled cheese every day and having sex every day. If you like sports sprinkled in with a little bit of shit, then this podcast is for you. Now, here are your hosts, Maddie and Smitty. Welcome to the Sports Shit Podcast with Maddie and Smitty. It is sponsored by Anchor and also Lops Brewing in Woonsocket, Rhode Island. It is season two, episode number six. We have a jam-packed agenda tonight as Alex Spear from the Boston Globe will come on and talk Red Sox, and we will discuss baseball and other things with former major leaguer Lenny Dykstra. So a baseball episode. This is the big love episode on Valentine's Day, Valentine's week, uh, Smitty's favorite holiday. And here he is, the love doctor himself, Smitty. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you very much. Yes, the doctor of love. The doctor is in. Just like Dr. Drew, I'll give you you all the sexual advice you need. Yeah, let me sit down right over here and you can give me the advice because I could use it. Be honest. Do you? You need a little yeah. advice? Yeah, give me a little something, something, a little something different. You know what I mean? Give me a little advice. Give me outside the box. Outside the box thinking? So, so, yeah. <laughs> don't do yes. anything wrong. Yes. No, don't, don't do anything wrong. Don't touch. <laughs> yeah. Don't do anything wrong. And, Absolutely. Uh, and also, don't buy her anything. That that works. That's outside the box. Right. That, right. That's outside the box right there. Yeah. Yeah. Just don't, just don't, just don't celebrate it. As a whole, you could do, you could pull that whole bullshit thing and say Valentine's really 365 days a year. Yeah, absolutely. I celebrate you every day. Right. I celebrate every day. So I I don't need to buy you a card on one special day because I love you every single day of the year. Every every day. Every day. (laughs) Every day. (laughs) Every day. Absolutely. I mean, that's, it's, it's a commercialized uh, sort of thing. Not to say that we can't celebrate each other and, and all those fine things. But you're right. Every day. Let's do it every day. Every Although day. We could also use day. some love right now. Yeah, everybody can wow. use a little love, especially during yeah. the pandemic. Right. I, wonder, I wonder how many babies are going to be born just. Oh, just from the pandemic? From the pandemic. Like if there's going to be a baby boom that happens because yeah. everybody's home, they got nothing else to do. Let's especially have in the winter here. It's right. Getting, yeah. Let's have sex all the, the time. <laughs> yeah. So maybe they started like November, December. So you're looking at babies like. August, September. Yeah, I think they're going to be firing out all over the place. This is going to be babies. This is going to be babies. There's going to be babies everywhere. Yeah, this is going to be babies everywhere. There's going to be overcrowding at the hospitals, not from the pandemic, because of the baby boom. Right now, the maternity, the maternity ward is going to be overly stocked. Correct. Um, It's a big episode. Valentine's. Yeah. Valentine's, and uh, happy Valentine's to all you lovebirds out there. The love doctor is available. For seven thousand dollars an hour, with anything you need, as far as love, you can use the code Sports to get ten percent off that. Right, right. So, so right, you know, right, a little less for you for you fine people that listen to this. Right, listen. You can use the code Eat My Shorts to get twenty (laughs) percent off too. How's that? Yeah, you can do that too. And you can use I'm not a real doctor to get fifty (laughs) percent off. (laughs) So for me, thirty five hundred dollars an hour. I will give you right. advice from 
from myself. That is not right. a real doctor. If you call you me go. a doctor, you get it for free. That'd be great. <laughs> Absolutely. So it's news time, and the news is sponsored by Lops Brewing, a brewery and tasting room in downtown Woonsocket, Rhode Island, specializing in small batch ales and lagers. It's open seven days a week, and you can use the coupon code SPORTS to get 10% off your online order. So visit www.lopsbrewing.com and follow at Lops Brewing for new beers and events. So get on there. It's winter. You need a little you need a little warmth. So go get yourself some beer online. Go down there and get some and use the code. Yeah. Order yeah. it up and then drive on down there and pick it up. Take a road trip. Yeah. Go down. Road trip. Yeah. Give us a call. We'll go with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Love you it down get, there. Might get twelve percent off if we walk in with you. Or nine percent. <laughs> uh so first item on the news. For just $5, the San Antonio Zoo will name a cockroach after your former significant other and feed it to a bird, reptile, or mammal. It's part of the zoo's Cry Me a Cockroach event on Valentine's Day. So five bucks. That's tremendous. It is. I think every zoo should be doing this. Our zoo will do it. Oh, we'll do it. Five bucks. We'll name name a cockroach after your former significant other, and then we'll feed it. To various animals. You know, we might be like Ozzy Osbourne. We might bite the, we, we might eat it for $5, <laughs> no, for $10. No, no. <laughs> we'll eat the cockroach. No. We'll give it to no. the bird at the door that's swearing at you. <laughs> right, we'll right. feed it to the bird. The you bird will like, tell you to fuck off and then it'll eat, and it'll eat a cockroach yeah. with your significant other's name. Be like, what? What's this shit? Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah. That's, uh, yeah. So cry me a cockroach event. That's tremendous. Um, yeah, it's kind of like Cry Me a River. What's that? Justin, Justin Timberlake. Timberlake, yeah. Cry Me a Cockroach. It's a good breakup song, Justin Timberlake. Breakup songs. And we're going to do, later on in the program, each of us have our top three love songs that we're going to throw out there at the end of the program. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a little disclaimer saying that you took at least one of my songs, possibly two. Really? <laughs> yeah, but great that's fine. Great minds think alike. But that's yeah. fine. That's yeah, fine. that's, you know, great minds think alike. Yeah, they I mean, do. We're sensitive men, so we like the love songs. We do. Oh, hold, hold on here. I have a question for you. So I was out earlier today, out and about town, trying to get things done. And yeah. let me ask you this question. If you park on the side of the road, you're in a spot, like by the curb on the side of the on road. The street, right. The cars can drive by you. When you go from the curb to your driver's side door, so okay. the driver's side door is street side, not curbside, street side. Do you walk along the side of your car or do you veer out into the middle of the street? And then and, and then dart back towards your car. This is just a this is just a question I have. I want to see I want to see if I'm a complete asshole or if yeah. there's a random guy out there who is just pissing me off. So what you're asking me is, do I walk in a straight line or do I walk like a greater than symbol? <laughs> so walk out. I'm just asking you if you if you take kind of a leisurely turn when you're going right. around the side of your car. You're like, yeah, no big deal. I'm just gonna go out here into the middle of the road a little bit. Or you, do you kind of like hug the side of your car? I, I hug the side of the car because, number one, I don't, I don't trust any of you assholes right. out there. I yeah. don't trust any of you. Yeah. And I want to be considerate of people driving their vehicle at a high rate of speed and who don't want to commit manslaughter. Yeah. Well, I appreciate, I appreciate I mean, that about you. This particular yeah. person did not follow any of those rules. He was just out for a, for a, leisurely, a leisurely walk, I guess, out into wow. the middle of the it's road. Traffic. And then just big loop, almost like a U to the door. Wow. Probably walked five feet out into the middle of the road 
and then back to his door. Wow, that guy must be the same guy who takes a right-hand turn and swings it out like it's an 18-wheeler <laughs> yeah, to probably, the left. Probably so. Anyways, I had to get that. I, I, opens, his, opens his car door, swings it all the wide way open. Wide open, yeah. Love wide that. Wide open, yeah. Yeah, oh, I had to get that off my chest. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, and I absolutely agree that that was the most asinine thing you've seen today. I mean, it was a great follow. We mentioned this before on Twitter is Richard Marks, the fantastic, speaking of love songs, Richard Marks had, he can write a love song, this dude. Sure he can. Um, Twitter, he said that a, a Pennsylvania man is suing Smartwater for not making him smart. And he says, I'd like to formally announce my lawsuit against Thin Mints. <laughs> uh, so there's a guy that, that thought Smartwater Maybe was actually going to improve his intelligence and improve his IQ. It's, it's a fight all of Smartwater. It's clearly yeah. not working. It's clearly not working. It's clearly not clearly, working. Clearly not working. You're still dumb as a bag of rocks, dude, if you think water is <laughs> going to make you smarter. It was a detriment. I think it went the other way. Yeah. <laughs> I think it killed some brain cells. Like, like when Adam Sandler says to Chris Wiley during one of those SNL skits, I can hear you getting fatter. Uh, yes, that's, that's what it is. Somebody, yeah, so. when this guy's drinking the water, I can yes. hear you getting dumber. <laughs> so thin mints that brings up a, a, an interesting debate it's what girl scout your, cookie season yeah what is your best girls what is your fave girl scout cookie oh let's see that's a mood thing for me is it really yeah it is i'm a camel delights thin mints peanut butter patties okay i am i am 100 percent the peanut butter sandwich uh almost like the almost like nutter butters yeah yeah peanut butter sandwich cookies okay 100% of the time, that's my mood, is is those. And, you know, the lemon, little lemonades, they're kind of sneaky. Uh, they're a newer cookie, but definitely the peanut butter sandwich. I love those things. I mean, I could eat a rack of those in a second. Well, the, they, they don't put as many they don't put as many cookies per rack anymore, as many cookies per box. I feel like they are, the box yeah, has gotten a little smaller, to, and yeah. the price has gotten a little higher. But, you know, that's yeah. that's the cost of doing business with the Girl Scouts. Yeah. I mean, it's five bucks a box now. It is. I yeah, think. it is. Yeah. I mean, at one point I remember it being like three fifty. Right. It's up to five now. I mean, yeah. it's, you know, I'll still, but, hey, I'll still buy four boxes though. Oh, I'll buy five. I'll drop a 20 spot on those. Sure. Absolutely. Here's a fun exercise we saw on, on Twitter. If you had 100 fandom points to allocate to the teams you root for across all sports, giving more to the ones you care most about how would it go? So the example of this guy, he's a Chicago guy. Mm-hmm. So he had Bears had 50 points, Cubs 15, Northwestern football had 15, 12 for the Blackhawks, seven for the Yankees, and one for the Chicago Bulls. That's interesting. Interesting. What would your allocation be on, on 100 fandom points for the teams that you like? So I'm going, I'm going Bruins, probably, I don't know, Bruins have... Bruins are pretty high up there for me. I might even go like close to fifty. So let's let's go forty, so I can give myself some other points. Okay. So we'll go forty, so 40 Bruins for the Bruins. Okay. We'll go thirty for the Pats. Okay. We'll go twenty for the Sox. Okay, so that's ninety. And then I'll go, I'll go five UConn basketball and five uh, Celtics. Okay. All right. There so you that's, go. Okay. So that's pretty good. I'll go. I'll go. Boy, that's that is true. All right, so uh, no, go, wait. I I need BC hockey in there too. So we'll uh, we'll go 
We'll go four Celtics and one BC hockey. There you go. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I thought you were going to take from Iowa. You're like, yeah, we'll go three and a half Celtics. No. Yeah. I'm going to go 35 Bruins, and I'm going to go 25 Pats. That gets me to 60. Yeah. I'm going to go, I'll go 20 Sox. which gets me to 80. So that was the same as me, Sox, I think. Yeah. 20 Sox, and then I'll go, you know, I'll go... I don't really think I have another team. I don't have like a college team like you do that I really root for. So I'm just going to go, I'll just go 20 Celtics. 10 years ago, I never would have told you that the Red Sox and Celtics are the same amount of fandom points, but they do right now. So I'm going to go 20 Celtics. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a good, that's a good call. I mean, for me in the eighties, when it was the bird, like the Celtics would have oh, been sure. number one. And the Patriots would have been way down the list. And the Patriots, yeah. yeah. TV, and the Patriots so. would have been way down. So, no, that's a, I mean, that's it's, a good point. It's changed over time. And the NBA, the product in the NBA for me just kind of turns me off a little bit. It has nothing to do with the Celtics. Like, I, right. I want them to do well, but it's difficult for me to watch games because of the way the, the play is and, and the officiating stuff. It just, it's a struggle for me. Yeah. I mean, it's a struggle for me too. This is the way it's officiated and the way that the superstars win in the league. So yeah. if you don't really have the superstars, you're not going to win anyway. That's why 20, you know, 27 teams, their fan base, how do you even root when you know you're never going to win it? So it's just, that's, that's what throws me off when it comes to, that's why I like the NHL because there's teams that could sneak up and get hot. Absolutely. So dad of the decade Spent the last six years building a 600-foot bobsled track in his backyard so his kids would have something to do in the winter. A 600-foot bobsled track. Now, you've done the hockey rink. I have. That was a big old pain in the ass. It is a pain in the ass, yeah. but it, it is, yeah. I mean, it really is a lot of fun. The kids enjoy yeah. it, and it's a lot of fun. I, I mean, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed skating yeah. out there and drinking some beers and resurfacing. But, I mean, when it snows and you got to clear it and all that stuff, it's a pain in the ass, but... It didn't take me six years to no, do it. No. I did I did one each year. So that's the right. thing. The other five years when he was building it, what did the kids do? Watch him build it? Right. <laughs> when did you start this? I mean, the kids, if you started in the kids nine, now he's 14. Right. And he doesn't <laughs> want a bobsled anymore. He can't fit right. in the bobsled. Right. He can't fit in the bobsled. Right. <laughs> I mean, those bobsleds are tight. I don't think I can get into one of those things. Can you squeeze your ass into one of those things? Those guys all look slender. You know, it's that all, you know, you got to be yeah. a certain, it's like a jockey. In, I thought that, in, uh, well, I think the guys at the end are not even bobsledders. Like the last two guys that like push it down the track. I think they're like uh, track guys, sprinters, but like, oh, they are. Yeah. So they get, oh, cause they run like hell. They run right, like hell true. and push it. And yeah. they just jump in the back and put their heads down and don't do anything. Oh, they after do. That. They lean forward. They don't yeah. do anything. They don't right. do anything after that. And, and the guy right. in the front drives it or whatever. So the last two guys are just along for the ride. Run Here's as fast the thing. as they can. You, let's say you lived in Foxborough, Massachusetts, and you wanted to meet an Olympic bobsled guy. Where the hell would you train? Ever, ever realize, ever, ever think of these things when there's Olympic events? Like, I mean, I think you. Where the fuck would you train? I think you probably are going to Lake Placid. I think you're, you're, you know, packing up all your shit, and, you know, grabbing your, yeah. grabbing your unitard or whatever the hell they yeah. wear, and <laughs> going up, going up to Lake, <laughs> yeah, going up to Lake Placid and. uh been to the bobsled track up there. It's pretty impressive. Is I bet it's impressive. I bet it's really cool looking. I really do. I it mean, is. that's a high rate of speed they come down those things yeah. on. And the Holy ski smokes. jump too. Holy fuck. Oh, wow. Top of the ski Can jump. Can you imagine? I can't oh imagine God. it. I mean, that agony defeat thing on the wild oh, world of sports. Man. I can't imagine coming down the ski jump and then wiping out at the bottom. Like, holy shit. Yeah. 
you can't stop yourself either. No, you're coming down like the thing a, at like 65, 70 miles an hour. Yeah, and that's like ice. Yeah. I mean, the track is like ice. Yeah, it is. And they keep going down all the time. It's, wow. Well, it's that time of year again. The ballot for the 2021 Rock and Roll Hall of Fame class is here. And it features Jay-Z, Foo Fighters, Tina Turner, Iron Maiden, and Carole King. Okay, number one, why is Tina Turner not in already? That's one. I think if you took the list of all that aren't in, she's probably at the top. How is she so not why is in? Carol King not in? I yeah. mean, those two people are iconic. They are. Like I get, you know, Jay Z obviously is a superstar, but he's new. I mean, he's newish. But he's newer, right? But and I can see why he would. It would be now. Yeah. That he'd be going in. Right. Yeah. Tina Turner, Carol, Carol King. I mean, Carol King wrote incredible amount of songs. And Tina Turner is like a is like a legend. I don't know how they don't how they aren't in. I'd like to see how many females are in. Yeah, I bet you the females have gotten females the shaft. I bet you they've yeah. gotten the shaft. Just I like everything else in life. They've been left behind a little bit too much and they and they you know, they deserve their day. So she right. should have been in a long fucking time ago. And same with Carol King. Absolutely. Yeah. And Iron Absolutely. Maiden, I mean, they've been around forever. So I mean I guess they so. They have been. Yeah. Foo Fighters? What do you think of Foo Fighters? Foo Fighters should be in. He's he's had a yeah. lot of he's had a lot of hits, but it's the same thing. He's newer. Like if Holland Oates and, and Michael McDonald and the Doobie Brothers, I mean, I don't know, but like if those people right. aren't in, like Foo Fighters shouldn't be in yet. Put some of these oh, other right. fucking people in. Right. Well, yeah, Foo Fighters shouldn't be going in. Like is Madonna character. in? If Madonna's not in, that's a fucking travesty. Oh, that is. I don't know the answer to these it? questions. Who was it last year? Was it um there was another group like Foo Fighters that was going in last year. Remember we talked about it and we were like, who the, f- why the fuck? Oh, it was, uh, De- it was Depeche Mode. Oh, Depeche Mode. It was Depeche Mode. Depeche Mode is in, but Tina Turner is not. Right. I get it. So give me a, give me a Foo Fighters song. Uh, Best of You. I'll Stick Around. Jesus. Okay. Everlong is a tremendous song. Big Me. Were you their road manager? Or <laughs> <laughs> Jesus I, 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 <laughs> You're going to give me the lyrics? I have, uh, I, have, I have a few Foo Fighters albums. Do you? Yep, I do. See, Foo Fighters is in that group with all those other 90s alternative that I just get them all screwed up. Dave Grohl came from Nirvana. Okay. So he was the drummer. So they're from, a little more grungy. Yeah, a little, a little, they're a little more hardcore than... You know, yeah. you're counting crows. Yeah. <laughs> right. Then you're, you know, incubus and shit like right. that. <laughs> <laughs> right. So he's, uh, he's super talented. I, I believe, and I could be wrong about this and I'm sure somebody will tell me one of my friends on Facebook when they hear this, but I'm pretty sure he played all the instruments on the first, the first album, like everything. Really? He did it all. Really? Yeah. I feel like that's something Jones would know. He should, he should he probably, know. he probably would know that. And Maybe I'm sure Pete Vayer knows not. that. Pete Vayer must know that. And, and yeah. there's a few other guys out there who probably, yeah. my friend Brian Herrick probably yeah. knows that too. And there's a few people out there that I'm sure will set me straight on that. But I'm yeah. pretty sure he, Terrific. he, uh, he did that. Well, great. So Foo Fighters is going in to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Aunt Jemima has a new name after 131 years. The Pearl Milling Company is uh, the new pancake uh, syrup and batter. Is that, it's just because like Aunt Jemima's racist? Well, Aunt, Je- Aunt Jemima, yes. I mean, Evidently it's... it was. I don't know the full story on it, so I really couldn't comment on it, but right, I, don't I think either. there were racial overtones to it beyond well, just it's, the name. Well, I the, think probably it was probably the name. Right. No. But I also think that there was actually a story with it too, but I can't, oh. I'd have to Google it, but 
I mean, it's uh, the Pearl Milling Company now. So if you're looking for for Aunt Jemima, we use we buy the Aunt Jemima. So I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'll, I'll have to remember that yeah. when I go to the you're grocery going to, store. You going to Mrs. Butterworth now? Are you taking a stance? Are you? No, Mrs. Right. Butterworth. That probably should be changed to something isn't else too. Isn't that? Is that? Is that a? That's sort of on the same lines, isn't it? I mean, Mrs. the name Butterworth. isn't Butterworth. Isn't as bad as Jemima, but no, I mean, it's not right. I don't know. Just right. call it like yeah, just. I mean, just call it fucking. <laughs> just call it pancake call syrup it, or pancake it, mix. Yeah, call it syrup. You know, call um, it Nabisco pancake mix. I yeah, mean, for fuck's yeah. sake. Yeah, just yeah. I, I don't know. Uberfax coming in hot again. Your skin will completely replace itself about nine hundred times in your lifetime. Nine hundred. Nine hundred times your skin will be completely uh, replaced. So we're like snakes. We like shed our own yeah, skin off. I, I don't think it's all together. <laughs> I don't think it's all together because I'm 48. It still hasn't happened all together. <laughs> all you know, all so, at the same I mean, time. 900 times from now on would be, I mean, we got to get hopping on it. So that it would take a while. Well, just but, think, of, uh, think of all those times you got sunburns and like peeled the skin off your shoulders. Peeled, yeah, right. That's like yeah. one, <laughs> two. Because your skin <laughs> just sort of flakes off while you're sleeping, right? Is that what it is? Don't you have like skin? Doesn't your skin... <laughs> fall off <laughs> yeah. your skin falls off when you're asleep so like yeah while you're asleep you're just you're just a skeleton <laughs> you have no skin right. on you're just right. you're just a skeleton you're with, just a with, skeleton you're just you're a just, bloody yeah. skeleton in the middle of the night you're a skeleton and you don't know it because you're sleeping and then you wake up and it's all back together it's weird <laughs> it is you can put a camera in there we should a, a, like one, of a, one of those time-lapse cameras so you could see yeah. the whole transformation. Just, yeah. Oh man, that would be awesome. It. Just lose your skin <laughs> and gain it back in an eight-hour period. Yeah, I'm gonna stay up all night tonight and see if my skin falls out. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so here's your news, sponsored by Lobs Brewing, and we will be back with Alex Spear of the Boston Globe and Lenny Dykstra, formerly of the New York Mets and Philadelphia Phillies. It is highly entertaining, and we will have it all right after this. We are joined by our special guest tonight is Alex Spear of the Boston Globe. He covers the Red Sox. Alex, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. How are you guys doing? We're doing great. We really appreciate you taking some time out. You know what? I, I've decided today that, that I really do miss baseball. I didn't for a bit, but now I, now I really do. I've been watching some old clips of old, you know, old games, and, and I am missing it. So I'm, I'm really hoping. And it's always a sign of new weather, you know, you know the good weather coming. So anyway, I think we all need it. What games were you watching? What games were inspired? I was watching, like, I like to watch the, you know, the 13, the 13 series against the Tigers. You know, I love okay. the Grand Slam. You know, I, you know, I, I watch that all the time. You know, even though Torrey Hunter almost died in that play, it's still, a, it's still a great play. It's just, it's just an unbelievable moment. And the, the Victorino, the Shane Victorino Grand Slam is one of my favorite, play, you know, plays in Red Sox postseason history, too. Is a, you know, obviously a huge hit, but just his reaction and the, and the, and the story behind it where the 13 team really came, you know, was, had a mission going. And I, I just thought that series, and they struggled for a long time in that Tiger series offensively. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, shoot, they were getting no hit left and right in like every yeah, game. Every <laughs> game. That series. Yeah. Uh, I have never uh, seen you know, yeah. a more dominant starting pitching performance in a oh, postseason series than what was happening with the Tigers uh, uh, really throughout that series uh, up until uh, up until game six, basically. So that series was went really from just being out of it and just getting swept to to really turning it around in the Grand Slam. And then, of course, you know, the, the World Series in 2013. And 
and uh, and Koji Yuri Howard just being lights out and so I I really you know as much as I love 04 I really I really love the 13 team you know just because of what they were just a bunch of veterans on a mission and it was a different feel than the 04 team was obviously on a mission but they were super talented and and the 13 team wasn't quite as talented but they just had that uh, chip on their shoulder and I I really liked that team an awful yeah, lot. Probably the, the great, the most overachieving Red Sox team of all time. Right. right. Like, I would, I, would I, totally I think that agree. that's, you know, when you look back at that season, their internal projections had been for a really pretty mediocre team, right? Like a team that right. had, it looked like it, its greatest probability was 86 wins that year. And then right. had like a 30% chance of hitting 90 wins and maybe making the playoffs. Uh, but uh, yeah, then they, you know, reel off 96 wins and, right. Uh, uh, that that was a pretty fascinating that that was a pretty fascinating team to look at and to understand um, that sometimes the culture of a team can kind of take on a life of its own and can pull a team in a very different direction than anyone anticipates. Right, and and this year's team may have the same sort of probability of eighty six if things go right. But the the first item is you know Jackie Bradley Jr. and what you think might happen with JBJ. I, I thought at first maybe the Red Sox are moving on. Now as it gets later and later. You know, maybe they bring him back. What do you think he ends up? I, I still don't see them bringing him back because I, I think that he's, you know, he's not going to one. For them, I'm not sure that, first of all, they've used up most of their money under the, uh, under the luxury tax threshold. If they're going to extend to get beyond it, I don't think that they would do it for, for Jackie. I think that it would have to be, if, if they were going to do it, it would be for like the Trevor Bauer of the world. Um, that's, that's, you know, the difference maker uh, in terms of what you think your team can be. Um, in this case, Jackie's a great player. Like he's a really good player. He is a very talented major league player through all of the like of the roller coaster that we've witnessed, <laughs> right. um, where he is the the absolute streakiest hitter uh, probably any of us have ever seen. Uh, at the end of the day, and season-ending performance is always is, is always solidly average to above average with some flashes of excellence. So I think that Jackie is probably. He's probably going to find a multi-year deal still. I, I think that he's going to be able to pull one from out of somewhere. Uh, maybe a place like San Francisco, um, where they, they have been in the market for outfielders and they have a lot of real estate to be able to, to cover. You know, it seems like the likelihood of him going to the Mets is diminishing a little bit. They keep kind of hedging their bets, netting uh, different components to their team. But they were playing in the Bauer sweepstakes, so they definitely still have some money to play with. and. Maybe Houston would get in, uh, would get into the fray, but there are enough teams and there's enough of a scarcity of center fielders that like Jackie clearly represents the best option out there. So for a team that doesn't have a potential long-term answer, like the Red Sox think they do with Jaron Duran, not too far away, he makes a pretty good amount of sense for at least, you know, two or three years, but less so for the Red Sox than for some other teams. Yeah. I think San Francisco would actually be a great fit for Jackie. So if they don't go with Bradley, the Sox, do they end up putting Verdugo in center field to start probably? And then, like you said, Duran is is maybe getting called up later this season, or is he going to be, you know, like you said, maybe a year or two down the road? It feels like Duran is trying to force the issue. Uh, right. you know, the way that he played at the alternate site last year was very impressive, but no one knew what it meant. Then he goes out and plays in Puerto Rico this winter, and he's still showing a lot of the... He's showing a lot of the in-game adjustments that he had made in the offseason between 2019 and 2020 uh, to become a more impactful hitter. And he's showing improvement in the outfield where he's covering a ton of ground, even though he's still trying to figure out 
his way of playing center field. Sometimes prospects kind of tell you when they're ready uh, or when they're, when they're hoping to be ready, and he's making some awfully big statements on the field. So I think that he opens this year in AAA. I, I don't think that they would be too heartbroken if, uh, if he ended up uh, pushing his way into the big leagues sometime this year. At the same time, yeah, I think that right now the default is probably Verdugo in center field to start the season. Uh, Kike Hernandez gives you some great flexibility. You know, you could have games where against left-handed pitching, Verdugo's in right, Kike Hernandez is in center, and maybe Christian Arroyo at second base. Or maybe they could sign a right-handed complementary center fielder. Jake Marisnik is still out there. You know, guys who wouldn't be uh, necessarily needle movers, but they would be, uh, again, just kind of rounding out a roster. Now, the Red Sox draft coming up, they're picking fourth. Uh, there's some high-end starting pitching prospects, obviously. They, they, they won't get the first pick in, uh, in Rocker, but you know, do they, usually they, they spend money on the pitching and they develop the offense, you know, the, the position players. Do they go position player or do they go try to get a pitcher that they can really groom? They haven't had a, you know, a homegrown pitching, you know, was it Clay Buckholz maybe or John Lester? I mean, they, they typically don't from the ground up develop a pitcher in the past. Where do they go in that draft? So first of all, um, I realize that this is like picking at nits, but uh, I, I think Felix Dubrant, since you brought up the okay. 2013 okay. team, all was right. a homegrown guy who came through right. the system a little bit later. Okay. Still, you know, he's been, right. he left, <laughs> the team dumped him in the trade right. in 2014. Right. So it's right. not like his, his impact has been felt recently. Right. And he did no, have also, five, I think it was five scoreless innings in that 2013 or right around there. He had a very good postseason. He was kind of and nails as a, like as a long reliever in that postseason. He did. Uh, yep. In that World Series, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, Justin Masterson is also a guy who came through the season. Sure. He was drafted one year after Masterson and Bard were drafted the year after Buckholz. So okay. you're talking about back in 2006. It has right. been a long time since right. they sure. successfully developed a major league starting pitcher. You know, maybe Halk represents a uh, represents mm-hmm. a, a change in that. We're kind of in a wait and see mode with him. They have Finger, some fingers crossed. But right. What's that? Fingers, fingers crossed. crossed. <laughs> yeah. Well. Right. Yeah. Right. His. Uh, I. I didn't think he was. I didn't think he had a chance of being a starter until I saw him in the big leagues. Honestly. Right. He really surprised me. I, I thought that he was going to be primarily a right on right reliever, and the way that he was able to execute with his four seam fastball ended up really surpassing my expectations. But in answer to your question, Matt, um, they don't decide based on need what they're going to do. They just want the best player out there because, you know, if you have, let's say, you know, Johnny Bench is your catcher, uh, then you don't pass on the opportunity to draft like Gary Carter. If he's available, you draft him and figure it out, right? If there's, uh, if, if you have the best available talent, you, you draft based on, based on the player's potential um, and who you think can be a star. Uh, because right. at number four, you have a chance at getting someone who can really, really transform the the fortunes of a team uh, for a number of years. So do the Red Sox have enough pitching to make some noise in the uh, American League this year? You know, are they a potential playoff team? There are a lot of question marks uh, on the staff. You know, sales coming back from Tommy John, Erod's coming back from COVID-related issues. Um, Evaldi has had some injury problems in the past, and then, you know, they bring in Perez and, um, you know, some other guys like Pavetta and Seabold and Trades. Do they have enough pitching to actually contend for a playoff spot? Kind of a total crapshoot. They have tried to give themselves a lot of options. The one thing that they deserve credit for is the fact that they're going to enter this season in a much different spot with regards to their depth. 
than where they were a year ago. I mean, let's think back to opening day, whatever that was, of oh, that 2020, was when number three starter was Ryan Weber, who was designated for assignment, Man. cleared outright waivers because no one else claimed him, right? Like that's that's not wow. that's a kind of indictment of where the rotation stood mm-hmm. at the start of the uh, at the start of the 2020 season. Ryan Ryan Weber is a nice depth piece, right? Like he pitched well down the stretch. That should not be your number three starter. Obviously, the the injuries to Sale and, and Eduardo Rodriguez uh, played a big part in that. But still, they you know that was a guy who once they traded David Price, Ryan Weber looked like the guy who was going to be in the rotation even before the Sale and Rodriguez injuries. So now they've put themselves in a different spot with regards to you know the additions of Garrett Richards, bringing back Martin Perez, the trade for Nick Pavetta. The emergence of potentially of Tanner Houck, adding a guy like Matt Andreezy to be a swing guy, adding a depth guy like a Connor Seabold who might be able to help at the start of the season, getting Rodriguez back. That's very different, right? They have a chance. They they have credible options. You know, they they have waves of credible options to start the year. And Brian Mata is the guy who probably has who who has a super high ceiling, who they hope is ready sometime during the season. Maybe Chris Sale is ready to contribute sometime in the middle of the summer. So there's a chance, but the floor could also drop out from underneath them, right? Like this could be, we have no idea what to expect from Eduardo Rodriguez because there's never been a pitcher coming back from the condition that he, that he's coming back from. And thank goodness he's in a position to come back from it. But what, what that means for his performance, no idea. Evaldi, obviously like there's all kinds of performance variability depending on his health. Same thing goes with Garrett Richards, who they signed as a guy who has a really high ceiling if he's healthy, but hasn't been healthy a whole lot in the last, what, six years? So beyond that, you know, how the jury is out as to whether or not that was, you know, whether or not we saw what we saw in September uh, was who he's going to be moving forward. Uh, Pavetta, like that's a that's a great arm where you have, you know, again, there's not a there's not a track record to tell you that he's going to be a solid big league contributor. They're in a position where probably the most reliable, the most predictable element of their rotation is maybe Martin Perez again. And Perez was, I think, I thought a nice contributor for them last year, but he's, he's a, he's a really nice kind of back of the rotation guy, number four, number five starter. And then you wait to see if you have other guys performing to the level of one, two, three, somewhere in there above him, there's a huge amount of variance. So could they have enough pitching uh, to compete and be a surprising team? Sure, absolutely. Will they? That's good luck to good luck to Vegas and figuring out the over under on like pitcher war for the Red Sox or number of innings for their uh, for their five primary starting pitchers. And what do you think about the the bullpen? They add Ottavino, and uh, I guess there are reports out of Japan that they signed Hirokazu Sawamura. Uh, do you know There's anything one about report right now? So we're waiting for a little bit more confirmation. Okay, that, but it seems like that might be uh, that might be trending in that direction. Um, you know, it's uh, again the bullpen should be deeper than it was this past year. Mm-hmm. Uh, granted, you know Weber, uh, rather uh, Brandon Workman and uh, and Heath Hembry um, were slotted in as as key parts of the bullpen at the start of last year, and they've since been traded. They're not back, but the fact that you would be adding Ottavino, who's obviously a you know he has a significant track record of success in the late innings. Um, Sawamura, uh, you know his stuff was really really good uh, down the stretch last year in Japan. Uh, he's been described to me as like a seventh inning guy who may play above that um, once he gets to Major League Baseball. But you know, you would feel pretty good about him uh, as a uh, as a seventh inning option. In the returns of Darwinson Hernandez and Josh Taylor, uh, both of whom had COVID 
Both of them were delayed at the start of the season by COVID infections. And then to me, they never really got their power back uh, in their stuff. I think that we there's a lot we don't know about uh, how COVID affects athletes, but it sure seemed like those guys weren't running, weren't operating with a full tank. And there's, I think, reason to assume that they'll be in a, a better position to contribute this coming year. So uh, I, I would say that their bullpen, again, you, what you're seeing is a roster that has better overall depth than it did a year ago, but um, remains to be determined. Mean, right? like they don't have <laughs> the same high-octane options that you see in the back end of the bullpen with some of the teams they're competing with. Now, Alex Cora returns, and in your opinion, you know, obviously the players loved him. And Raphael Devers was one that was outspoken, Xander Bogarts and so forth. Now, what I guess, what is the real value, the number one value he really brings? And can he can he increase the win total on just his presence alone? So uh, getting back to the 2013 team, right? Um, I am a believer that uh, that the culture surrounding a team can mat- matter. And I, I believe that um, it creates kind of positive. Uh, I talked about this, uh, you know, uh, at some length with Ben Charrington a while ago. Um, and, uh, and he talked about kind of the feedback loops that are created, um, when you have a positive or a negative atmosphere around the red stocks and when it goes bad, it just takes them down into a black hole, like the Bobby Valentine, uh, 2012 season, or even like, I think that the difficulty last year, they were a team that was, you know, I, I think that some of the cultural challenges that they faced in dealing with, you know, all of these unexpected transitions surrounding the team, uh, proved just too much for them to, to take and drag down the level of play of a number of, uh, of, of some of their players, certainly. Um, whereas you have the 2013 team where you have, you know, culture being a positive that pulls players in a direction to kind of draw peak performance out of a lot of guys collectively. Or 2018, when Cora first came on, you had something similar. So I, I think that there's a chance that Cora is able to bring out more of that. Although uh, whether or not the impact can ever be like it was in 2018 is questionable given that, some of these guys were already familiar with him, right? So like mm. being able to draw out something more, he's already drawn it out of them. And mm. uh, we also can't dismiss the fact that some of their guys underperformed in 2019 with right. Alex Cora. So there's, there's a bit of a, of a to be determined. I think that certainly he'll help, but there are also limitations to how much a manager can uh, in right. clubhouse dynamic can affect a team in COVID times, given, you know, the protocols that exist and, sure. You know, given that it's actually hard to create a team culture uh, for the same reason that life is hard for all of us sit here on Zoom, <laughs> looking, yeah, right. looking at uh, like looking at your closet, Matt. Your backdrop's much better. Yeah, yeah. Well, again, like I'm just trying to come, I'm trying to gloss over all the crap in my background, but um, you know, this is uh, it's it's tricky. It, it's tricky, and I, I I ask myself, even if Cora is great which he certainly was in 2018 at drawing the best from players. How much is that effect dampened by the reality of the times that we're in? So Alex, uh, you know, I know he's been really waiting anxiously to do five questions with two assholes for us. So this is a segment <laughs> we do. We call it five questions with two assholes. And, and we, are, we are in fact the assholes. We can, we can reassess that after we answer. <laughs> right, right, right. I mean, yes. Thanks I mean, Alex. People we appreciate have joined that. Us. Yeah. People have joined us uh, as a third past. So we're going to just ask five random questions and we will start it right now. All right. So question number one, in your opinion, looking back now, and even looking at the time, should the Red Sox have traded Mookie Betts, in fact? I mean, look, in a vacuum, no way, right? Like, if right. you can keep that guy, like, of course not. Like, in the reality where you don't know if he wants to resign or, you know, where you throw a ton of a boatload of money at him uh, and he says, 
you know, I'm, I'm interested in like, in like more than a hundred million dollars more. Like I don't fault them for, I, I don't fault, look, their 2020 season would have been garbage regardless of whether or not Mookie Betts had been a, a part of them. I think that the, the, the dumpster fire, you know, it, it turned into a dumpster fire rather than just garbage because, you know, people were rightly insanely angry at them for sure. trading a franchise player um, and then watching what, what followed. But, you know, I think that, honestly, I, I'm fine either way. Like, I, I think that an organization can certainly make the case of why it would make sense. And I do want to point out that the contract that Betts signed with the Dodgers, that, that was a contract that he was willing to sign after the pandemic hit. And when, when, right. when there was tremendous uncertainty, I don't think that he's signing that deal with the Red Sox when they're negotiating prior to the 2019 season. Sure. So, you know, if they doubted, which I think they did, that Mookie would re-sign, then I think that, you know, it makes sense to trade him and accelerate what they had to do. It's a reflection of like, of a bunch of, Poor decisions that preceded it. Yeah. The pitching contracts and so forth. Pitching yeah. contracts. Yeah. Nathan Evaldi falling in love with him, giving him yeah. a big contract. And yeah. Okay. So uh, question number two, what is your favorite Dennis Eckersley slang? <laughs> uh, Stat Masterson. <laughs> there you go. There it is. Yeah, you're biased. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I, uh, I, I love pair of shoes, man. Like I, oh, I, I just too. love it when he's like, I you know, too. when, just thinking like I have no idea what that means, but it's right. awesome. It and is finding out what it meant was yeah. even better. I love when you're on with with Eck and Dave. I, I it just it's tremendous. I I, I just yeah. love it. I am a big fan of those moments too. Jerry as well. Like it's yeah. like I mean it's kind of crazy to me that I get to talk about baseball with these guys. Pretty amazing. So who is your favorite player to cover either across baseball or on the red? Well, but why don't we do Red Sox and one across baseball? Favorite players you cover? That I've ever covered or that yeah. or yeah. current? Yeah, they've ever covered. Uh, I mean, Ortiz is the obvious right. answer, right? Sure. Like, I got to, my first year on the beat was 2002. So he got signed after that season. And I got to cover the entire David Ortiz experience in Boston, which was amazing. And, you know, beyond that, I, I think that, that that whole clubhouse dynamic was pretty amazing to cover. Like, between Ortiz was a favorite. I, I was, a you know, Gabe Kapler, I learned a, a an awful lot from uh, in that time. And he was great about making himself available and talking about like all, all kinds of uh, all kinds of things, you know, Millar and Damon had just a hilarious dynamic during that time. So uh, that was a particularly special group, but Ortiz because it was enduring and because he always remained so fascinating and, you know, wasn't just going to give you an answer that was um, that was necessarily what you thought he would say. Uh, he would go in any number of directions. And I also want to take a step back and just appreciate the fact that he did it as someone speaking in a second language. We are all so lucky, uh, those of us who follow the Red Sox, those of us who report on the Red Sox, you know, that he became such a gifted bilingual speaker because can you imagine not having gotten to know his personality that well? I think that it's an indictment of the industry, quite honestly, sure. that uh, there aren't more people who are conversing with him in Spanish. But I'm I'm really appreciative of the fact that I got to get to know him as I did. So, you know, across baseball, uh, favorite players to cover. Torrey Hunter was always amazing to talk to. Certainly, uh, he stands out as a, as a favorite. You know, recently, like, Adovino was actually, like, was actually a great person uh, to chat with while he was with the Yankees. Incredibly bright, incredibly thoughtful, really interesting. Uh, Adam Jones is an all-time favorite. Yeah. He was yeah. uh, someone who, you know, incredibly smart. Again, someone who wasn't just going to give you uh, canned answers, but also wasn't 
wasn't so guarded, right? Like had right, right. a willingness to talk about very real things and right. uh, was pretty remarkable for that reason. Switching gears a little bit. If you could have any superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Uh, well, let's see. I wrote about spin rate as a superpower today, but I think that, <laughs> that one would, uh, would not be my, uh, my first choice. <laughs> I, I think that the ability to to teleport oneself probably like, you know, even yeah. more than flying teleportation seems incredibly efficient and also really valuable. Just being able to, you know, escape a situation seems like sure. a, that seems like a really good one. And probably just like dropping in on other places. Like I can, I could be in Matt's closet right now. <laughs> sure. Right. Right. You'd be like George Jetson. You just in my closet. George Jetson could be caught. Yeah. That's yeah, right. He could be caught. Hovercraft. Your colleague Jetson from the. said that he wanted to be yeah. invisible. So Your colleague from the globe. You can be globe. invisible and you can teleport. <laughs> yeah. You know. I, Dynamic duo. To me, like, you know, I, uh, yeah, I, I feel like I should, I should own who I am and the fact that I'm, I am somewhere, but I can also escape with teleportation. That's right. That's right. Um, so what's been your favorite thing? This is question number five. Your favorite thing to stream during the pandemic? We watched Schitt's, Schitt's Creek uh, yeah. crush the entire series. And I think yeah. that was uh, that was great. Um, mm. Yeah, I, I would say that that's been uh, top of the list during the pandemic. Yeah, We're, we're still, uh, we're, we're trying to see if we can get, I have uh, two grade school kids, so probably a little bit too, we, we didn't, we did not watch Schitt's Creek with them. Um, yeah. but, uh, we've been trying to find middle ground and figure out whether or not we can do parks and rec with them. Oh yeah. Still a little bit, you know, a little bit beyond their pay grade right now. So, yeah. um, I, I would say Schitt's Creek though has been, uh, has been the best one. Great. Show. Yeah. That's a really good series. Yeah. I mean, we watched, uh, I watched Ozark. I'm a big fan of Ozark, big fan of the center with Bill Pullman. I really like mm. that. Uh, three seasons, all different, but he's a detective. It's a really good series. Schitt's Creek. Yeah. Smitty loves Schitt's Creek. Yeah, he was did. in the beginning, it was a little slow, but then you really get it really be, just becomes really, really good. Like in the beginning, yeah. like, oh, okay, yeah, Woody, yeah, it's funny, yeah, whatever. But then it, then you get hooked. You know, it's kind of one of the- Cobra Kai great. has got us right now. Just right. started Cobra, Cobra Kai. Kai. Yeah, Cobra Kai. Yeah. We, it, man. Cobra That's Kai awesome. we watched as well. Yeah, we yeah, like that yeah. one. Yeah. I'm rewatching right, so before, The West Wing right now, actually. The West Wing? Yeah, I'm rewatching really? that. That's yeah. an old school. Yeah. yeah. Thinking I, that might be, like, during the insanity of January, I was thinking about trying to get my kids to watch The West Wing as, like, a kind of calming device. Yeah. For, like, you know, yeah, yeah. It helped me. It helped me, I'll tell you. It helped me, for sure. Yeah. Uh, Smitty's a big fan of Leonard, Ke- Leonard Kenny. Yeah, I am. And I'm trying to, trying to find some time to, to watch that. But he's a big fan of that, too. Nice. So. All right, Alex, I'm going to put you on the spot before you go. How many wins for the Red Sox? Uh, I will go with uh, 83. So that, that's going to keep them out of the playoffs, you think? I, I think that it'll, uh, it'll represent a, uh, a, a sizable step forward for them. I mean, sure. when you think about yeah. what was happening last year. Right. Um, mm. But I, I think that this is, uh, this is kind of what they hope is a platform year. Uh, I, I don't think it ends up being, you know, I, I think that it's just too stacked against them in the American League this year. Could be wrong, like as we discussed. There are a whole lot of variables involved with that rotation. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think that this is, uh, we're, we're still looking at uh, a couple of years off into the horizon for them to be contenders. Alex Beer, Boston Globe. We really appreciate it. This was a lot of fun, Alex. Really, really appreciate having you on. We'll have you on again sometime. It was awesome. Yeah. Hey, that would be great. And uh, I want to commend you guys because this was not a shitty podcast. So. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. That. We're going to put that on a testimony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alex Spears <laughs> says we're not shitty. Yeah, it's not shitty. Yes, we made it. Awesome, Alex. Thanks, guys.
Our special guest is Lenny Dykstra, former Major League three-time All-Star and World Series champion. Nails, good to talk with you. Hey, man, how are you doing? You guys in my old village stomping grounds in uh, Boston, huh? Uh, what an opening for me. Uh, I got to say before you guys get going, when I got there in the World Series as a young, you know, youngster, I just went out in that field like three hours early and just walked around and he was, you know, he used to watch it on the game of the week and everything. And it was really, really cool, man. Really cool. Tell me a little bit about the book, House of Nails. How did that come about? Oh, that's a great story. Like, I mean, I haven't asked to write a book for a long time, you know, and I just wasn't ready to, to put it all out there, you know, because the way I roll is if I do something, I do it one way, I do it the right way, or I don't do it. And so, like, you know, after, you know, basically planting a flag on Mount Everest and, and sleeping in the depths of Death Valley, it was pretty much time to get the, get the real truth out there. And so the book was really, like, about a baseball player, but not about baseball per se, you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, I went with the biggest and best editor and publisher, which was um, Harper Collins and Peter Hubbard, who's got more best stories than anybody. And they got me a ghostwriter, you know, because I didn't do too well in English. I mean, uh, <laughs> none of us did, Lenny. None of us did. No, that's fine. I had, to, I had to service my teacher to pass, actually. <laughs> long, long but, but anyway, about a, I don't know, a year into it, the ghostwriter and I, it just won't work. So I fired him, you know, and I said, like, it's not really your fault. God himself can write in my voice, you know. I called my editor, and I said, hey, Peter, I fired the ghostwriter. I'm going to write the motherfucker myself. He got dead quiet, and I said, Peter, listen to me, man. If you stick with me, if you fucking stick with me, I'll get you a bestseller. And that's what I got him. I got him a bestseller. That's a New York Times bestseller. And that, that to me, is, like, the most crazy thing ever because it was the hardest thing I ever did. I, I locked myself in a basically in a room for eight months and did face plants and me and the source became best friends, you know, <laughs> no, I, I put it all out there, you know, the good, the bad and the ugly. And that's what you have to do. Awesome. I can't, I can't wait to read it. I actually ordered it, but I haven't, uh, I haven't got a copy yet, but I'm, I'm looking yeah, forward to reading it. You, you don't like it because yeah, I, I never read a book, you know, until after my baseball, cause I was sub reading would hurt my eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I had these crazy thoughts and my whole life was driven about, I mean, I had one friend in high school, and the only reason I had a friend was I needed somebody to play catch with, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was on a mission of mercy to get out of the middle, and so baseball was my ticket, so I punched it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, the book is, um, you know, uh, I told my editor, like, hey, like, people are telling me I should get somebody to, like, do a blurb for, like, somebody famous if I can do, to say something about it. And so I called my editor, and I said, do we need to do that? And he said, well, that'd be great. And I said, well, who, who do you want? He said, well, living, I mean, the best for Stephen King, he's never done it before. I said, all right, let's see what we can do. So, long story short, I got, I got Stephen King to do the, the blurb on the front, which is unbelievable. Yeah. Me and him, he's walked down them dark roads like I have. You know that, right? Yeah. We've yeah. been down them roads. You, you haven't been down them roads. They're no. dark. They're dark, and, and, and there's sometimes there's no exits on them roads. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Sure. But the bottom line is, is you come out the other end, his saying on his quote on the book is tough, straight, upsetting, and strangely beautiful. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Best sports I've ever read. That's so Stephen King, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. Perfect. He's a huge, by the way, he's a huge Red Sox fan. Yeah, he is. He has he season is. tickets. Red yeah. Sox fan. Yeah. yeah, huge Red Sox yeah. fan. So then I told my editor, what about the back? So we get something for the back? <laughs> he said, an actor might be good. And I said, well, Ooh, he said, well, Jack Nicholson would be. I said, well, yeah. we'll take care of that, too. Boom, I got Nicholson to do the back. 
That's yeah. awesome. So, anyways, so Nils, what happened with the, Ron? Well, darling, Ron darling. What happened with Ron Darling? Well, I mean, what happened with Ron Darling is Ron Darling lied, and then what happens when you lie at the level he lied at? When you're when you're in the position he is, and by the way, he sucked enough cock to get to that position. So, oh <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, Ron Darling, he's Mister P, you know, Mister Perfect. You know, politically correct, all this bullshit. But re- yeah. the reality is, he's he's got a lot of flaws like everyone else too. In fact, he evaded his taxes for fucking many years. But whatever, that doesn't matter. It's not about Ron Darling. It's way bigger than Ron Darling, which is why the Wilpons sold this match, and I'll just be honest with you, they sold the team because of me. And and that sounds crazy, but it's not. What happened was Darling, if you remember. In 2019, he wrote a book, and he came out with these crazy comments about mm-hmm. your guy in Boston there, Oral Cam Boyd. He said I was screaming all these crazy things at him, racial things. And so right. out come uh, Dale Strawberry says, Darling's crazy, a liar. Kevin Mitchell said, Darling's a liar. Back in the on-deck circle, and Oral Cam Boyd said he didn't hear none, which is because it was unsaid. And now Darling's getting taken apart by the fans, literally, Piece by piece, every day it's getting worse. They're calling for his job. What's there to do? There's only one thing to do. And you can only spin people around that, that way by, by playing a pity card. And, you know, he said he had cancer. And which, again, when you do that, even I had to stop going after him because, you know, oh, all of a sudden, so he turned that, he turned that, that basically did a whole 180 and got the people, you know, feel sorry for him. What happened was, darling, Number one, picked me as an enemy, which is the fucking worst thing he could have done, okay? And he kept saying, my doctor, my doctor, my doctor, but never would say the doctor's name. And see, Darling, like I said, he, he would have, if he had cancer, he would have been around the doctor, his doctor's great, saved my life. So I got further and further into it and pushed and pushed him, and his lawyer panicked, and they wrote a fake letter of a doctor. And basically, they buried So the problem starts here. So the Wilpons either had to discipline him and get rid of him, or they had to turn a blind eye and hope no one would find out. And they did. They turned a blind eye. And basically, let Darling pull off the biggest fraud in the history of sports, and it's ongoing. But the Wilpons were forced to sell because of that. And they, they were forced to sell because I went to the commissioner and said I was going to go public with everything. And so baseball is about the integrity of the game. And the thing that makes me really sick is that every night people see him and they say, there's that poor Ron Darling, and he beat cancer. He beats fucking shit. And it's upsetting to me because the fans are the ones that get hurt the most, and they're the ones that make baseball. They pay everybody's salary. Without them, he got nothing. And so sure. he duped them, and he keeps duping them. He plays them every night. And you can't stop it because it's really simple. Here's the deal. If Darling had, if he, if Darling had what he said, he'd show it. I mean, a little tumor. And the bottom line is, he made one 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 lie, and it turned out to be a bad situation. So he had to make up a bigger lie, and he got caught. And so the Wilpons fell on the sword. And then Stephen Cohn, he's trying to negotiate with the Wilpons, remember, to buy the team. The end of February, he, it's too much. He can't take it. He ends up walking away from the deal. You remember that? Yeah. So... I write a letter, an email to Stephen Cohn's his lieutenant, and say, "Hey, look, I think I can do something to help you guys get back in the game here. Um, I got some heavy duty artillery." And so they started working my way and pushing and pushing. 
and got to the commissioner and, and basically told him you know, the situation. And my lawyer talked to Major League Baseball. And so baseball knew about it too. And so now it's right now it's baseball's dirty little secret, see. And and the thing is, is Stephen Cohn owns that team because of me. And now that, that might be crazy. I sound crazy, but again, it's not as crazy as you think. If you play this scenario out right here, the deal ends in February, right? Because the Wolfpons are too, basically they want everything and then some. And Cohen, who's worth $14 billion, is is like, wanting the team so bad, but even he, even he couldn't take it. I said, mm-hmm. let me ask you something. Last February, after months of pale negotiations with the Wolfpons, on behalf of Stephen Cohn, the deal blew up. I believe it's safe to say any hope. Steve Cohn had a binary commensal, but gone, deal dead in the water when you agree. Now, that being said, it's almost over. What if, just a few months later, in early June 2020, Steve Cohn was promised by Lenny Dykstra the following. Hey, Steve, I got some good news for you, man. I know this sounds crazy, but it's going gonna, it's, it's gonna to come true. In months, you're going to be the new owner of New York Mets. I know it's hard to believe. It's only been a few months since your, your attempt to buy the Mets fell apart, but it's true. You're going to be the new owner of the New York Mets in a few months. And guess what? It gets better. You're going to buy them for a few hundred million less. Oh, wait, there's more. You have to buy SNY if you want. And last thing, it's going to be closed. The deal will be closed. You'll own the New York Mets by the end of the, of the summer. Sound good, Steve? Fact. Every single word I just read to you came true. Absolutely. So what team was more fun to be on, that 86 Mets team or the 93 Phillies team? That's actually a great question because I played a different role on, on each of them, you know, like the 86 team, I was like the young guy and like kind of Hernandez was a guy that, that kind of like taught me how the game works and was a real winning player. And so I kind of took that role on with the Phillies. So, I mean, both are actually great. You know, playing, playing in front of New York fans and then getting to play your other half of your career in front of Philadelphia fans, you can't ask for better, you know. So mm-hmm. they're both awesome, you know, and I mean, New York will always have the place in my heart, you know what I mean? Right. And, but Philadelphia was cool too, you know. You know, I'm fortunate and blessed to be able to play for, for both those teams. Sure. Now, Kurt Schilling was your teammate with the 93 Phillies, and he's been in the news about the Hall of Fame. And first of all, do you believe he's a Hall of Famer, and do you think he'll get in? Well, he's definitely a Hall of Famer, okay? His numbers speak for themselves. Come on, look, the Hall of Fame, let me tell you how fucked up the Hall of Fame is. The three best players in the history of baseball, okay, Barry Bonds, okay, Roger Clemens, and Pete Rose aren't in the Hall of Fame. What's the threshold to be a bad enough person to not get in? I mean, they all took amphetamines in the 80s, 70s. What about the guys that beat their wives? That's the thing. I mean, so, like, what is it? What is it? Is it a Hall of Fame for what you do on the field? So I'm right. saying, have a Hall of Fame for good guys. Have a good guy Hall of Fame. But it's right. about, Ty Cobb is a fucking Ku Klux Klan member, man. <laughs> Ty Cobb wasn't a nice man. No. Do you feel betrayed at all because of the steroid situation? They knew. Like, Seelig knew. No, no, not at all. Look, no. baseball is a business, man. And, and listen, so, and I told Seelig this. I told all of them this. See, steroids, what they did is they, they put you in a position to play much better and put bigger numbers up. And when money's involved, it makes men or people make decisions they wouldn't normally make, okay? We we're talking a little bit of money here. We're talking about millions and millions of dollars. Sure. So, like, if the guy next sure. to you 
you're, you're fighting for a job against, okay, he's on him, he's all ripped, he's fucking, looks like, you know, a Greek statue, and you're going to say, you know what, I'm going to be a good guy and follow the rules and not take him. So you get fired, obviously, and you'll get a real job and make your family 30000 a year and then fighting with your wife all the time over money, where the other guy makes $30 million. So what I mean is it kind of put players in a really tough spot. But baseball didn't know about it, for sure they did. And then yeah. it happened. Look, here's a record nobody really knows about. How, how in the hell did, did Major League Baseball players set a home run record, okay, uh, I think it was two years or maybe three years ago. The most home runs in a season. Remember, no drugs, by the way. Let's be clear on this. There are no drugs in baseball anymore, okay? You might have a French player that's on his way out that might do one last hurrah. The reality is the testing's ramped up, so steroids are out of the game. So if steroids are out of the game, how, how, how could they possibly break the home run record? It's real easy. Baseball does what they want. You want the ball harder? You make it a little harder. You want the ball to fly a little more? You lower the seams, okay? Because when the seams are lowered, okay, the physics, you know, the ball is not having to be held up as much as, you know, cutting through the air. So they made those balls like Super Bowls a couple years ago. You'll see this year, they'll pull back on it. They'll, the, the seams will be up, and, and you'll see the home runs pull way back. Watch. Who is your favorite teammate that you ever played with? You wouldn't know him probably, but um, Dave Hollins. Yeah. Third base in the field. Yeah. Boy, he's a Buffalo. And he's, he's like my bodyguard slash best friend, you know? Is he? Yeah, no, That's he's great. cool. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. He was a good player, Dave Holmes. Yeah, he, he was played hard. He, was, he did. He was scary, too, you know? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, he, he, he was a scout for the Phillies a long time, and I think they just got somebody else. I don't know. But, you know, anybody from Buffalo, man, they're built tough, you know? Yeah. Who was the toughest pitcher you faced? Well, I mean, for me, it wasn't so much a pitcher. It was kind of like, kind of a weird situation was Greg Maddox. You would take the most comfortable over fours off that guy. It was so weird. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Right. He didn't throw real hard. And like he hit him hard. He hit a bullet a second. You say, okay, I'm over one. I'm all right. I mean, you know, like he makes a good pitch on you and. And then right. pop up and like next right. go for four and like how'd that happen? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Hit a ball. A lot of players yeah, a lot of players ask themselves that, but yeah. Because he played yeah. right though, remember. And then you have Tom Glavin, who I literally wanted to catch the ball and throw it back to him. Okay. <laughs> and he's right. a Hall of Famer. He is. He's a Massachusetts guy, Tom Glavin. He is. Yeah, he is. Yeah. He is he's a gamer too. Yeah. But but what I'm saying is is he had he knew how the how the game worked. The, the numbers the game is based on off of math. It's all about math. Percentages. Right. So Glavin, he used the percentages, meaning he had eight players in the field out there, catcher, you know, pitcher and eight. So they can go anywhere they want out there. People see them run the one to left field, one to center field, one to right field, one to third. They can all go to right field, but they all go to them areas because over the hundreds of years ball has been hit, they figured out the percentages where them balls go and they go in them areas more than not. If you throw strikes and you don't walk people, you basically are going to be a winning winning pitcher. You know what I mean? Now, do you think there's as much star power now in the game as there used to be, 80s, 90s, when you played? No, no, I, I don't. I don't, I don't either. It has to do with, like, you know, 40% of Major League Baseball is Dominican Republic, you know? The, the Dominicans, they got – their only way out of that poverty is baseball. So, you know, they're, they're all working so hard and – 
So when kids that come from good families, you want your kid to be raised in a nice family. The problem right. with that is is making golfers, okay? Because baseball is a, is a hard game. I mean, the schedule is very, very, it's a, it's a toughest schedule in professional sports. You know, you're talking, you have seven months. It's a and, grind. And you're dealing with failure every day. Remember, it's a game of failure, okay? So, so yeah, right. so you have to have a different mindset to be a baseball player and, and, and to succeed there, you know? So last question, what what do you think is the number one problem with baseball today? It seems, it seems boring, man. There's something missing. Yeah. It's kind of hard to, to answer because it's just something's not quite there. You know what I mean? Right. I, I can't put my finger on it. And yeah. I don't want to say this because I definitely don't think anyone, I think baseball did the right thing about stopping the drugs, but that stopped kind of the wild times. And But more than that, not so much that. That's probably the wrong analogy. They've made the penalty so stiff now. You get like, in a fight, you get suspended for like a month, you know? What I'm saying is, Manfred, I mean, I've never seen a guy who was so crazy over, over hitting trash cans, you know? Right. Right. There's right. a joke, bro. Come on, man. I, mean, I played 12 years in the big leagues. That whole trash can deal was bullshit. Okay, think about it. When you're hitting, it's hard enough to hit. So, like, what I would tell people, my, we'd tell them, yeah, we, I got the signs. One time, they'd fuck up one time, okay? I'd say, don't ever give me the signs again, okay? Ever. Right, right. No, right. Because in your head, you're paying attention head, to him, so. and he can't pay attention right. to him. Right. Can you imagine, like, you're in the box, okay? So the, the pitcher takes, he, he shakes, he says, okay, he's in, he starts his windup. So the guy is now supposedly in center field, obviously thinks he knows the sequence. Remember, they change the sequence every, every inning. I'm talking about what the catcher puts down. So let's say it's, let's say it's first pitch after... First one after he puts the two down. So he puts one, two, and then he puts like three. So it's a slider. Hits the trip. The batter's like, come on, where's the fucking trash can? God damn it. <laughs> it's just crazy. You know, Nell's a real thrill to talk to you. We really appreciate it. Yeah, Hope man, you're doing well. Anytime. And, and, you know, best time to reach me is 24 7. You know that. So thanks again to Alex Spear of the Boston Globe, Red Sox reporter, and Lenny Dykstra, former Major League Baseball player. We had a lot of fun talking with both of them, and we hope they have them both on again. Lenny Dykstra is a character, to say the least. To say and, the very uh, least. To say the very least. And we had uh, some off-air, some really, uh, some really funny stories he had, and funny, uh, funny comments he made <laughs> that didn't make the cutting, <laughs> that didn't make the editing table. So Lenny and uh, Alex, thanks again to both of them. Uh, you can follow Alex at Alex Beer. On Twitter, he's an excellent follow, writes for the Globe. And he's also on the Nesson broadcast in the booth every once in a while mm-hmm. with Dave and Eck and, and Jerry Remy. Uh, so now, in honor of Valentine's Day, we are going to give each of our top three love songs that we love so much. So they may not be the ones you like, and I don't want to hear it because these are mine and it's my show. Get your own show and you can play your own music. So I'm going to do my three. Number three is Just the Two of Us by Grover Washington Jr. and Bill Withers. I see the crystal raindrops fall And the beauty of it all Is when the sun comes shining through to make those rainbows in my mind When I think of you sometime And I want to spend some time with you Just the two of us 
Now, I never realized that that was Bill Withers until recently. Like, I, I just, it always said Grover Washington Jr. on it. I didn't realize Bill Withers was singing. And, you know, he's had, he had great songs. He died recently. Yeah. Recently. Tremendous yeah, voice. He is it's so good. He's so so that's good. one of the ones you stole from me. I love okay. it. Love that <laughs> okay, song. So there it is. Just yeah. the two of us. Yeah. I grew up in Washington Jr., Bill Withers. So number two, I think when, you, when you're talking love songs, you have to have Steve Perry and his foolish heart. You know, that's a great, that's a great, very underrated album. Another song on there, She's Mine. I love that song. She's Mine on that Foolish Heart album. Tremendous. That was a really, that was a really good uh, solo album for Steve Perry. And it's underrated. For it sure. is. That's a great oh, song. Sherry. That's a great song. Oh, yeah. Uh, and number one is absolutely positively the legendary Al Jarreau. And we're in this love together. such a great song he also did the moonlighting remember the moonlighting bruce willis and uh oh yeah civil shepherd civil shepherd yeah yeah it was moonlighting civil, also he did the theme shepherd. song for that uh so there's my top three love songs and uh sorry Smitty, for taking a couple of them that's all right that's <laughs> <laughs> all right i get you i i survived yeah. i survived number three for me is um <laughs> <laughs> I can't see what order I put them in. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a roll of the dice. It's a roll of the dice. <laughs> We're gonna surprise us. Yeah. Number three for me is the search is over from Survivor. How can I convince you what you see is real? such a great song yeah that's a great song it really is so i was so good yeah, they had it. So they had some uh, some big like high on you. They had some. some oh, high on you is a great song. Some, some good hits that weren't uh, 
Man Against the World is an underrated song. It is. Him. It is. Oh, I mean, everybody man. knows Eye of the Tiger, but they don't really know some of these, some of these other yeah, ones. Yeah, The Mark's Burning Heart. Right. Some real good songs. So number two for me is Peter Cetera and Cher with hmm. After All. We had to we had to let it run a little bit to hear a little share there. <laughs> Absolutely, you gotta have share. Yeah, sure. so that's the love theme from Chances Are. Wow, Chances Are. You know, what's your favorite chick flick before we get to number one? That's a tough call. So that would be a love a romance movie, you know, if we're politically correct, but chick flick. I'm gonna go with Pretty Woman. Yeah, I mean that, that's that's, solid. that is a, that actually has a tremendous soundtrack. It does. I think I've always liked Sleepless in Seattle. Sleepless in Seattle's good. Yeah. When Harry Met Sally's up there for me too. Yeah, that's a good one. I, I would say the breakup, but it's more of a yeah, <laughs> more that's, of a breakup yeah, type of thing. Right. But that's a funny movie. I mean, they don't really do the rom coms as much anymore as no. they as they used to. No, they don't. The Notebook no. and a, no, they don't. Do, you know, was, the Hallmark movies just sort of take all the right. They take that the over. Themes. Yeah, but they were they were cranking them out there for a little bit in the oh late nineties. Absolutely, like all you could find. So my number one is, and I've seen him in concert a few times, good friend Billy Joel with Just the Way You Are. <laughs> the pregnant pause. To try and please me You never let me down before mm-hmm. Don't imagine you're too familiar And I don't see you anymore I would not leave you In times of trouble We never could have come this far mm-hmm. I took the good times I'll take the bad times Take you just the way you are. Yeah, that's a great song. Yeah, that's one of my favorites from him. Yeah, that's good. We saw him at Fenway. We did. It I've seen very, him very I've good. seen him a few times. I saw him in Providence once. Might have seen him one more think, one more time. Yeah, I think I think I saw him at the garden years ago too. Mm. But yeah, that's a that's a great song. And so there's our top three. Each of us with our top three love songs for this Valentine's edition. The love edition. Love. The love, the love doctor comes through with three solid choices. I think it also solidifies that we are not Casey Kasem, nor are we Rick Dees or uh, Ryan Seacrest in the uh, love song dedication genre. We could do the long distance dedication. Remember the long that? Distance Remember dedication? that? Yeah, you want to do a long distance dedication? Casey yeah. Kasem? Yeah. This is Amy, and this is sent out to Rick, my long distance dedication. 
Crazy time. for You by Madonna. <laughs> Crazy for You was the theme to Vision Quest. Remember that movie? Wow, Vision Quest. That had a, didn't that have a sneaky good soundtrack, Vision Quest? I have no idea. I'm just making well, that up. Well, Crazy for You was on it. So, yeah. Was that Matthew Modine? Matthew Modine. Yeah. It was. Yeah, wow, he was a wrestler. Ball. He was a high school wrestler. That's right. That's when they were doing the high school wrestler themes. Wow, a lot of high school movies back in those. Oh, you know what? I should have I should have picked maybe In Your Eyes is one of my favorite songs of all time. I don't know if that's really as much of a love song, but it oh, was that's used. Peter Gabriel? But that was right. used in Say Anything. That was basically the love theme to Say Anything. Okay. And I'm a huge fan of that song. In Your Eyes is a great song. So that'll do it for the uh, love edition, the Valentine's edition of the Sportsmanship Podcast, season two, episode six in the books. Thanks again to Alex Beer and Lenny Dykstra. I think next week, Smitty, we're going to talk, let's talk some weather with the great Charlie Lepresti, meteorologist in we Portland, going, Maine. Are we going weather girls? We're going, we're it's raining, we going, no, it's raining men. It's raining men. We're going, it's raining men. Absolutely. We're going, it's raining men. Purple uh, rain. Purple rain, we could do. Sunny, you know that song? Sunny, thank you, fam. We could do Sunny and Cher. (laughs) Here comes the sun. Send us your favorite weather-related songs, and we'll play them, or we'll consider putting them at at the beginning or the end of the podcast. Yeah, there you go, because we we like to match the theme of the show to the songs. We do. So So that'd be great. Let's get some weather-related songs. And you know what else we'd like is for you to give us your top three love songs. Yeah. So you you can throw it on a, as a comment when we when we post the links on Facebook or Twitter. You can mm-hmm. comment and, and give us your three love songs, and we'll critique you and tell you how wrong you are. Yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll hammer you and, unless, and make fun of you unless and your you your lists are identical to ours. That's right. We will. Right. We right. will. So if you so remember the ones we just played, right? And put them in the comments. There Absolutely. You go. That'll do it for this episode of the Sportsmanship Podcast. We'll see everybody again next week. Have a great week, everybody. Thanks a lot. Bye. Let's get it on. Let's get it on.